Well, we are officially in our summer season. Are you guys excited about summer being here? Are any of y'all in the house praying for October to hurry up and get here already? I know I'm in that crowd. Uh, summer is just something I endure. I wish it wouldn't hang around too long. Summer means long days and cookouts, and, and hopefully for you it means some time off, a little bit of time away. But summer also means something else. Summer means the prevalence of non-deodorant-wearing teenagers smelling everything up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Summer means sweat, and sweat equals funk, right? Now, some of y'all are a little too suburban, so funk just means things that smell bad. Y'all y'all cool? Let me do some translating for you there. That's what summer means, right? Body odor, people who stink. I had a student years ago, years ago, had a student who smelled so bad, we went to Rural King. You know at Rural King, you can find anything. Uh, we went to Rural King, and we got him a, it's a true product on the market. It's called anti-monkey butt powder. True product you can buy. We bought him a couple of those because he smelled so bad. And even the powder didn't work. The guy smelled like old cheese and sweaty socks and bad milk got together and had a baby. That's what this guy smelled like on the regular. And his remedy was to just cover himself in Axe body spray, which just added to the 12 layers of disgusting that was his. He was the kind of guy that smelled so bad you could see him coming, right? Because of the, you could just see that cloud coming. He, he, he stunk so bad and, and I wasn't a good friend or mentor at the time because a good friend on day one would have said, hey, man, you, you smell. I think I shared with you guys a story months ago about a friend that did that to me. A good friend would have said, hey, man, you stink. You need to fix yourself. But I, I waited, you know, probably a week or two too long to finally have that tough conversation and sit him down in my office and like, bro, I love you. You stink. Like, let's, let's, what's, what's going on? So I'm asking all the good questions, everything good at home, you know, is your money situation okay, you know? And I found out through my investigation that, breathing through my mouth, by the way, found out that, that this guy took like two showers a day, which told me, okay, he can clean his body and he's aware that he smells. Because I don't know about you, you don't just take two showers a day unless you're self-conscious about smelling. So he knew he smelled. So I'm, I kept poking and prodding, trying to figure out, man, what is the deal with your, your odor? And I discovered through his own confession that he never washed his clothes. Never washed his clothes. We'd go to the gym, use that shirt, you know, take it off, dry himself off, put the same shirt back on. Uh, he'd wear the same socks four or five days in a row. When he was done, he'd just throw them into a bag in his trunk because that's what a lot of his clothes hung out in this plastic bag in his trunk of his car. He'd throw them in there. Then he'd pull out and he'd pull socks and put them back on. And so he was taking showers but putting the same nasty clothes back on his body. Some of the moms in the room, you guys are having a little bit of post-traumatic stress, right? You just had that argument with your teenager the other day. Like, what are you doing? Put on clean clothes. This was this guy. He just kept doing it. And it wasn't because he didn't have a washing machine. I checked. It wasn't because he didn't have access to washers. I checked. It was because, in his own words, it's easier to just throw on this spray and keep moving with my day. He thought it was just easier to spray the outside of his body than actually clean what was messy with him. You know, I kind of empathized with him. Having once myself been a teenage boy who was a master of the art of body odor, I kind of got where he was coming from. Like, yeah, it makes sense on paper, man, but that doesn't really work like that. You got to wash your clothes. That type of body odor, you know, the type that clings to you, 
that goes before you and behind you, like that supernatural body odor. That really, really stinks. I hope no one in this room has that body odor. If you do, it's okay. This is a safe space. No judgment, at least not out loud, no judgment. We might be thinking some thoughts in our heart, but we're glad that, that, that we're all here and we love each other and we're okay, right? Please don't start telling people they stink. At least wait till you get in the hallway uh, to do that stuff. You know what else really stinks? Smug spirituality. Smug spirituality. That is people who walk around acting like their mess doesn't stink. Do you know anybody like that? If you don't know anyone like that, you might be that person. I'm just saying. Smug. Think like you got it all together. You've never messed up. You listen to a story about a smelly teenager and you don't empathize or relate to the teenager. You judge the teenager forgetting that you too once probably smelled or had a bad day. Another thing that stinks is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is kind of this spiritual idea that we have saved ourselves, that we are self-made, that we've done it all by ourselves, that we started from the bottom and now we're here because of our hard work, not because of anybody else. Self-righteousness stinks. But I think something that stinks maybe more than those two things is stuck. Being stuck in poor choices, stuck in toxic relationships, stuck in addiction, stuck in anger, stuck in sin. Nothing smells worse than knowing that you have to move forward, but you can't because you're stuck. In fact, stuck stinks, really does. There's nothing like being so jammed up you don't know how to move forward, don't know how to get out of the situation you're in. Today, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. We kicked it off last week. Why are we studying the book of Ephesians? Well, because we all have been, will be stuck in some type of spiritual battle. We'll be stuck fighting an enemy that we can't see. And if we're honest, uh, we can't tell if those battles are from outside or if they're from within, but they are a reality of what it means to live life, especially a reality if we say yes to Jesus and we're following Jesus. We're going to find ourselves in situations that we can't get out of. Sometimes we're going to find ourselves like a smelly teenager spraying body spray on ourselves, hoping that that will fix the problem when what we really need is a brand new start. We need something fresh. We need something that we're incapable of doing on our own. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book to the church at Ephesus, they are in Ephesus, which is, a, which is now modern-day Turkey. Paul is in jail in Rome, and he's writing back to this church just to encourage them and to teach them about who they are in God, who they are in Christ, what Christ has done for him, and to talk to them about the reality of spiritual battles and spiritual warfare. Paul, before he got arrested, he spent a lot of time in Ephesus doing great work with them, and he loved them so much, and he had a great long time of ministry there. And so years later, he's writing back to encourage and challenge them. Just as a side note, I would tell you, if you're here and you don't really follow Jesus, you're not into this church thing, you just kind of got talked into coming, one, I'm glad that you're here, but I would encourage you to check out the book of Ephesians. It's deep theologically, and there's some words in there that might not be familiar if you're not familiar with the Bible, but what I like about the book of Ephesians is that it starts heavy, and it moves towards very simple, practical, everyday stuff. And that's how most of the Apostle Paul's writings are. But this is the book of the Bible that a lot of scholars will tell you is synonymous with your identity in Christ. If you've ever asked yourself, what on earth am I here for? What is the meaning of life? 
What does God really want with me? What, what has God ever done for me? If you've ever asked those questions, the book of Ephesians actually unpacks and answers a lot of those questions in it. So it's really cool book. And it builds towards a crescendo like we talked about last week, which is found in chapter six, very practical tools that are given in chapter five and in chapter six. And I'm going to read this again. This is kind of our theme verse for the series. We won't read it every week, but just want to read it one more time just to remind us of where we're headed. So this is the last chapter of Ephesians. Here's what Paul says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter six, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. It's where we get the title for the series, Stand, and it's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to push us to. No matter what we face, what we fight, the end game is for us to be standing. So this is a book full of spiritual battles, spiritual breakthroughs, and that's all a part of the life in Christ. And for Paul, doing the ministry he did in Asia, it was very costly. He fought some of his biggest battles there, but eventually there's, there's some, some great things, successes that happen for him. So chapter one, last week you can go to onechurch.tv, watch that message or download the app, listen to that message. That was all about getting the right perspective. Before we can win the fight, we have to know where we are in the fight. In fact, we discovered that your position doesn't, doesn't determine the win. Your perspective does. Being able to see where you are is more important than where you actually are. You have to have an awareness of it. And again, you can catch up and listen to that if you missed it. I encourage you to. In chapter 2, Paul gets busy discussing the real reason that we lose the battles that we fight. And this is going to be uncomfortable for some of us today, but hang with me. There is good news in the middle and the end of this message. It gets a little uncomfortable at first, but he really gets down to it. Here's why we lose and we, we stumble, why we stay stuck, why we sometimes stink. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen or the YouVersion app if you want to pull that up. Here's what Paul says. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your what? Say it again, your many sins. If we were that kind of church, this is where I would tell you, turn to somebody and say, you're dead, but we're not gonna do that. Then a fight might break out in here, but y'all get the point. Once you were dead, that's what I loved about the series we just did. Pastor Chris reiterated that. It's me and my big mouth, right? So Paul is kind of doing the same thing and setting the tone here. This is not about your cousin that needs to be in church this morning. This is not about your friend who's not here. This is about you. Once you were dead, once I was dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So he's saying spiritually dead, not sick dead, but spiritually dead because of your many sins. What did many sins look like? Verse two, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So many sin, what does that look like? That means disobeying God, obeying God the devil, the enemy of our soul, doing things that miss the mark. That's what sin means. Missing the mark of what God has for us, refusing to obey God. He said that you and I, 
And these Christians he's talking to in the original audience, you used to live in sin. I got to do some uh, traveling last month. I'm doing some traveling today. I love going to places that are awesome to visit, but I don't want to live there. You ever been to a place like that? Great to visit, but I really wouldn't want to live there. For some of y'all, that's back home, right? You love going home, but you're so glad you don't live there anymore. This is what he's saying. You used to actually live in sin. And then he escalates it even more. Verse 3, he says, all of us. So now he includes himself. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. We used to live in sin. That's where we were. We were dead in our sin, living there, disobeying God, and we were subject to the wrath and the anger of God. That's the starting point of faith for everyone. That's the starting point for humans, stuck in sin. The great urban prophet from the Brothers Outcast in Atlanta, he once said it like this, I know you like to think that your blank doesn't stink, but lean a little bit closer and see that roses really smell like poo-poo, right? Again, for y'all suburbanites who don't know what he's saying, he said, you walk around acting like you got it all together, but on second whiff, you stink too. Y'all like that translation? I mean, I didn't say that's what Andre Threestack said. He said, you act like you don't stink, but actually you smell worse than everyone else. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. If left to our own devices, all of us are dead, dead, dead in our sins, dying, stuck, unable to get out of the mess. And it's because of our refusal to obey what God has said. Instead, we obey the lie. We follow the lie. That is what sinfulness is. Sin is not something we like to talk about. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make me feel encouraged and blessed. You don't leave from a message on sin saying, oh, I'm going to go live my best life, right? Sin means I got to change. It challenges the core of what a lot of our real issues are. Sin takes something that's vile and poisonous for our soul, and it cloaks it in this garment of opportunity, this garment of, ah, oh, it's not a big deal, and we fall prey into that lie. It's a voluntary thing. The devil can't make you do something. It's our willingness to miss the mark again and again. Sin brings out the irrational in every single human being. It's a heart issue. Some of you in this very place, you rest in the false security of thinking that because you're avoiding certain actions, you are free from sinfulness. Meanwhile, the lust of your hearts and the pride in your mind and the bitterness in your soul, it seriously holds back what God wants to do for your life. There's no Switzerland when it comes to sin. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground. There's no place. Where no, here's, a, here's a tough truth. Sometimes our spiritual battles are because of sin, period. Not all the time, but sometimes your struggle with anger, with addiction, with jealousy, with rage, with bitterness, with malice, with lust, with instability, with financial lack even. Sometimes your struggle has everything to do with sin. Not all the time, but sometimes. And if sometimes that's a reality, that's something I need to pay attention to. 
It's a tough pill to swallow because we love to judge other people. I love to judge other people. I don't know about y'all. Y'all might be more saved than me, but it feels good to look at someone and go, I know I'm busted up, but at least I'm not like that. And the minute I do that, I've become the judge of that person, right? When I start to rationalize my own struggles, because at least I don't struggle like he struggles, I'm just as guilty of judging and throwing stones and acting like my stuff doesn't mess, that my, that my mess doesn't stink, that my stuff is, is all together. The truth is, all of our roses really smell like poo-poo, right? <laughs> when you really think about it. Thankfully, this is the good news. I told you there would be good news. Thankfully, God doesn't leave us stuck in sin. So verse one through three, Paul says, you were dead in your sin. You were, you were subject to God's anger, subject to God's wrath. Verse four, but God. Now I could stop right there. That's a whole sermon series on the power of those two words. But God, because it changes everything. But God, when, as soon as that comes into the equation, everything that just was said before completely shifts. The atmosphere changes. The room changes when God enters the scene. And Paul says, but God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us what? Life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Heavenly realms, there's that place again, I told you. It's used like five times in the Bible and all five times right here in the book of Ephesians. But there's two important words for us there, raised and seated. Greek is a wonderful language and this was written in Greek. And in the Greek and their verbiage, they have this thing called the aorist tense. It's a really cool uh, thing that they would do in their words. And basically, it, it means a past action that is not yet complete. It's a past action that doesn't have an end date or a timestamp assigned to it. So when Paul writes raised and seated, he's talking about a past action that is not yet complete ever. In our modern day language, that would be like me saying, I attended college, but I'm not telling you when I attended, how long I attended, if I'm still attending there. It's, it's kind of a, a funky phrase that you would use. This is really cool. It means it's something God did for us that he's still doing for us and that he's going to do for us. Y'all still with me? That's confusing, isn't it? It's something he did for us that he's still doing and that he's going to do. He raised us and he seated us. Verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Defeating sinfulness, being unstuck from sin, is not about doing things first. It's about believing truths, belief before behavior, belief before behavior. Every now and then there are some things that you just have to do it until it becomes truth for you. And there are some truths to that. We sing songs and worship God. And a lot of you lie every Sunday morning when you sing songs to Jesus because you don't mean what you're singing. It's just words on the screen, right? But we do that as a habit because we believe you keep singing it, eventually it's going to get down into your soul. But most of the time, behavior is going to follow belief. We believe you can belong to, to, to one church. You can be here. You can belong. You're welcome before you believe anything about Jesus. And that's awesome. But we also know eventually we want you to believe in Jesus. And that belief in Jesus is going to change what you do. You've heard us talk about messiness, right? Everyone is messy. We're all messy. You're welcome to come here messy. But 
The mission is not to stay messy, to stay that way. We know if you come and you believe, that belief is going to produce some fruit in you, and that's going to lead to being like Jesus. We have to believe and trust in what God has done through Jesus before we attempt to do anything to try to become like him. That is the gospel. That is the good news. The battle against sinfulness is won when we fully trust in what Jesus has already done for us. It's our big idea. The battle is won when we trust in what God has done. Now, that sounds good. That rhymes. That's easy to to remember. But what does that mean? What has God actually done for us? I'm glad that you asked. So is the Apostle Paul. Here's what God's done for us. Ephesians 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by your own works. None of us can boast about it. God shows up and he does the impossible. He saves us just because. That's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited, un undeserved favor of someone, of God. He gives it to us. We don't deserve it. He just gives it to us, and that's how he saves us, not because we're doing the right things, but because we believed in him, and we say yes to him, and then he follows us. It's, it's powerful. What has God done for us? God saved us from our sins. He saved us from being stuck. A lot of us, especially men I know in the room, we, we tend to not like to take care of ourselves in the true sense of the word, as in let me go to a professional in the human body like a doctor and let the doctor tell me what's wrong with me. You know, my knee pops every time and my shoulder doesn't work right, but I'm not going to go see the doctor because the doctor's going to tell me, hey, you can't lift weights anymore because your knees aren't working and your shoulders aren't working, and I don't want to change, so I'm just going to, ah, it'll be all right. I'll just suck it up, right? You haven't slept in a week? Ah, it's all good. I'll be okay. Losing your breath some, nah, it's it's all right. We deal with these aches and these pains as men because we don't want to go to the doctor because the doctor is going to tell us that we can't eat bacon as much as we like anymore, and we like bacon, so shut up, doctor. I'm just not going to deal with you because I don't want to be faced with that thing. Maybe if I just ignore my blood pressure, it'll just work itself out. It'll just get right on its own, right? We live like that all the time, and we know that's not the truth. It doesn't get better on its own. Sin does not get better on its own. It must be dealt with or it spreads like a cancer. And here is the awesome news for us. We don't have to deal with the sin because God already did in Christ Jesus. God, because of his love and his mercy, he showed up and he actually fixed the biggest problem that you and I will ever have, which is separation from him. He fixed it through what he did in Jesus. All we have to do now is live in that truth and trust in that truth. And it gets better than that. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. What has God done for us? He saves us on purpose for a purpose. And then God saved us for good things. God saved us for a mission. He actually gives us something to do. What, what are good things? We, being Fort Clarksville by serving in our local community, Mana Cafe Ministries, you know, gives away 
2 million, you might not know this, Mana Cafe gives away about 2 million pounds of food to the hungry in Clarksville every single year. And you and I get to be a part of that. We get to serve, we get to help, we get to give back. Not in judgment, not from a place of us versus them, but in view of everything God's done for us. It's a good thing. God put you in this city, connected you to this church for a reason, and here are some good things that you can do in view of that. You can invest in the relationships God has put you in. You can invite those people to come to know Jesus through your local church or through your own words in life, and you can actually lead to someone's life being changed forever, and that's a good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Raising your kids to love and to know Jesus and to follow him, that's a good thing that you can do. Serving here in your local church, that's a good thing that you can do. By grace, we've been saved, but that's not the purpose of grace. Being conceived is the first step of life, but that's not all there is to life, right? There's more to that. There's more to living than just being alive. There's stuff that we get to do, and God's grace saves us and equips us to do that. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, Paul says, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. What does that mean, Jews and Gentiles? In the original audience, there were Jewish people who followed the law of Moses, the Torah, and then they became to believe that Jesus was the son of God. So there's Jewish Christians, and then there are Gentiles People, that's everyone not Jewish gets lumped into that term Gentile. So Jewish people and the rest of the world, and they were divided by how they viewed God, how they worship God, how they access God. And Paul's saying, now because of what Jesus has done, he, set, he tore down that wall that was between us, and now we're all one. Jesus is the great equalizer. No more self-righteousness. No more smug spirituality. No more thinking I've got it better than someone else or, or my mess doesn't stink. No, because we all need Jesus and he came for all of us and he lived for all of us and he saved all of us and now he becomes the great equalizer. In fact, verse 18, Paul uses that theme. He says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He's the great equalizer. It's ironic when it comes to grace, many of us want to receive it, but when it comes time to giving it to others who are struggling, who are broken, who are busted up, it's a little more complicated for us. We want everyone to overlook our shortcomings, but we, and we scream from the mountaintops, don't judge me, but if we're honest, we're so quick to point out the flaws in other people. We're so quick to hold other people to some standard that we don't live up to. We're so quick to judge the people. We see social media culture just proves that this is true. We're so quick to play this comparison game when in all actuality, everyone we see today, including the person you see in the mirror, needs the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. God poured out on us this unmerited gift. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. And it's the game changer in our lives. It's the glue in our lives. It's the key player in our lives, this grace of God. And now, because he's given it to us, we get to live in unity with each other, pouring it out onto each other. Andy Stanley says it like this. When we're on the receiving end of grace, it's refreshing. But when grace is required of us, it's disturbing. But when grace is correctly applied, it solves just about everything. 
loving people, showing this mercy, it actually, this grace, it actually helps just about everything that we could deal with. And it's what God's called us to. Let's finish up this chapter. Verse 19, Paul says, so now you Gentiles, so this is everyone non-Jewish, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of the Lord. We now, because of Christ, we become the house of God. We become this church, this movement, all because of what Jesus has done for us. The battle is won when we rest and what God has done for us. What has he done? He saved us on purpose for a purpose. He created us for good things. And he unites us into one big family. That is such awesome news. We don't have to do life on our own. God actually unites us and puts us together with people so that we can grow, so that we can live out the mission that he has for us. Here's another tough truth. Some of you in this room are stuck because you're battling the very people that Jesus came to save. You're battling the very people that Jesus came to save. Maybe you're stuck because you're fighting people that actually can help you, people that want to help you. They're for you, but you're fighting with them. Paul says it in Ephesians 6. We read it earlier. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're going to talk about that, I believe, next week, that people aren't the problem. Some of us are getting beat down spiritually because we keep leaving room for hate, room for division in our lives. We keep giving access to that type of us versus them thinking. We let, whether it's the 24-hour news cycle or social media or American politics, we let that get down into our soul and we actually start looking at other humans that Jesus came to save as if we are better than them. And we forget Jesus is the great equalizer. We end up leaving room in our heart for racism and stereotyping and judgment. All of those things, by the way, are sin. They don't reflect Jesus. They don't reflect the goodness of God. There's no place in the church of Jesus for racism, for hate, for that kind of slander, for that. In fact, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness and anger and rage and and slander. We're all one in Jesus. We all come to Jesus now equally. And so because of that, We give that out to other people. Accepting the grace of God obligates us to share the love of God to all, to all. That includes the person you just thought of in your head that you're like, I ain't sharing grace with them. They get on my nerves. Yep, that's probably the main person that you need to start showing the love of God to other people. That is how we defeat an enemy that we can't see, by living as people who are aware that we didn't do anything to save ourselves, and yet God, because of his mercy, he saved us. We were stuck in our stink. We were spraying cologne on ourselves, trying to mask it. God shows up and says, let me give you a brand new start. Let me make you brand new. That's what you need. New clothes, new body, new life. You need newness. You're spraying your works on something that's dead, and it's going to smell like it's dead until you receive this awesome new life that God has for you in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. That's how we win the battle. The battle is won when we trust 
and what God has done. Practically, how do I live this out in my life? This week, how do, how do I, how do I, what do I do with all of this stuff? Three quick things I'll tell you. The first thing is this. Do not trust your own sense of smell. Your spiritual nose will betray you. Don't trust your own sense of smell. This is the power of community. We're better together. When I get around other people, Wednesday night men's group that I get to serve at, when I hang out with those guys, they know the real me, they know me, and they can see when the arrogance is coming, when the pride is coming, when the bullheadedness is coming. We can be real with each other, and they help me. Because if I'm left to my own devices, I'm just going to think I got it all together. But I need that sharpening that comes in being in community. And not every small group is going to be like that, but there's power when we can see that, oh, I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one that's had this question. If you're here and you are not in a small group right now, that means your small group is not meeting over the summer or you've never done small groups with us. Again, we encourage you to connect with us like you saw in the video screen there. Text connect to, to, to our, our number 97,000 or stop by the next step table and connect with us. Get in one of these short-term groups, three, four-week groups that are going to be life-changing, get you used to being in a group if you've not been in one, help you to grow some. But it'll help you keep from trusting your own sense of smell. Sometimes you need other people to help you out. The third thing, or second thing is, you got to get down to go up. One of the best antidotes I know for self-righteousness is service, is to give myself away in the service to other people, to serve others, to humble myself and have conversations and listen and serve and get outside myself. This summer, if you have some free time, don't just hoard it all. Volunteer with Manic Cafe. Volunteer. Help with what we're doing here at One Church even, whether it's joining a team here, helping with the move. Those are all great things. This is not some kind of bait and switch for me to recruit people, by the way. I'm just saying it really is a practical way that you can humble yourself, start giving yourself away, giving that grace back to other people who are in need. And finally, Love outside of your comfort zone. Real unity involves walking across the room to the person who's not like you, who's a bit different than you are, whose beliefs might not line up with your beliefs, but you're going to love them anyway because it's what Jesus would do. This is the person that you know, man, they don't think like I think, and, and, and man, they kind of ride on my nerves. I don't know if I can love for this week. I encourage you to walk across the room and start making that connection. Pour out that grace. Well, man, Carlo, if I reached out to that person, I might smack them. Okay, I don't want you to do that. Uh, depends on who the person is. Let's talk afterwards, maybe. But So maybe you can't talk to the person because there's just that much junk between you. So what do you do? I would encourage you this week to talk to God about that person. Maybe you're not there yet to have a conversation, but you can talk to God about them. You can pray for them. And I'm telling you, the more you, it's hard to pray for somebody and hate them. It's hard to pray for God to bless someone and God to be with someone and still hold on to bitterness and anger and hate and division. I'm just telling you, it'll change your life if you practice those things and start living out and giving back this great grace that God is having. That's how you get unstuck. That's how you get rid of the stink. The battle is won when we trust in what God has already done. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for loving us so much that you died for us. You demonstrated that love by while we were stuck in our sins, still sinners, 
you sent your son that we might have life. God, if there's a person in this room who's not said yes to you right now where they are, I pray that they would say, God, forgive me, help me. I'm tired of living life on my own, trying to figure this mess out on my own. I need your mercy and grace. And God, I receive what you have for me. I thank you that, God, when we pray that and when we believe that in our heart, you do what only you can do. You show up and you actually save us from our sins. God, for those of us who are here who've been walking with you for a minute, I just pray that you would help us to rest in what you've done. No more striving, no more self-righteousness, no more smug spirituality, no more acting like we have it all together, God, but instead we would rest in your truth, rest in the goodness of the Lord that never, ever fails us. And I thank you, God, that you give us these great gifts, not just for us to keep them in, on a shelf in our lives, not just for us to pack them away, but you give us these things, God, that we might show others this great truth that you are actually for us and that you've made a way for us to come back to you. I pray for everyone in this room as we leave this week, God, that you would help us to find one person, one moment that we can pour your grace into. We thank you for the lives that will be changed. Thank you for equipping us and calling us and creating us to do good work in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, One Church, thank you so much for being here this morning. Don't forget, we need your help moving. Stop by the Next Steps table. See one of our staff if you can help us in any way with that. Go be the church. Y'all have a great week.